When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. A month ago, Pastor Milky mentioned the rise of the nuns in his homily. The nuns being the N-O-N-E-S kind that do not associate themselves with any religious affiliation. The numbers are staggering. 20 to 25 percent of American adults say they do not belong to any religious group. My generation, the millennials, report even higher numbers at 35 to 40 percent. These numbers have led many to conclude that our nation just isn't as religious as it once was. And that's partially true. Sure, there aren't as many people associated with organized religion, but our country isn't any less religious. The nuns may not belong to a place of worship, But that doesn't mean that they don't have a God. Because the fact is, we all have a God or gods. We all fear, love, and trust in someone or something above everything else. More often than not, in our day and age, humans deify a created thing or things. We take what God has created for our good, twist it in our sin, and use it for our ill. And the list of gods is endless. The self, the state, the other, money, sex, food, alcohol, gossip, power, etc., etc., The old saying goes, 
Show me where you spend your time, money, and energy, and I'll tell you what you worship. So, what is that for you? What is that God that you worship with your time and your energy and your money? There are many different deities, but their followers all ask them the same set of questions. What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be saved, to save ourselves? Saved from the world? Saved from our enemies? Saved from ourselves? The answer our gods give to these questions are always demands. And these demands give us a false sense of security. Do this and you will be saved. Do that and you will be satisfied. The frightening thing is that the demands our gods make are never ending. No matter how much we feed them, they're never satisfied. We need more money and more sex and more food and more alcohol and more gossip and more gossip and more gossip and then a little bit of power added on to that. People may not be affiliated with the religious group these days, but let me assure you, they're still enslaved to something. We're still enslaved to something. It's the old self that St. Paul speaks against in our epistle for today. The old self that is corrupted through deceitful desires. It's the vile slavery of Egypt that still lives in the hearts of the people of Israel as they grumble against the Lord out of their hunger. Why would you take us out of slavery to let us die in this desert? Are you God? It's the people in the gospel for today who seek Jesus only to fill their stomachs. Our gods demand so much of us, and yet they still leave us wanting, empty. That's why Jesus is so scandalous. Jesus offers, up, offers us something that truly fills, something that endures, something that is everlasting, eternal. Jesus offers us himself. When the people are confronted by this, and frankly, when we're confronted by this, the same old self questions are asked. Jesus what must we be doing to do the works of God? Jesus, what must we do to be saved? We're so used to toiling after the wind in the pursuit to please our man-made gods that we're so befuddled when Jesus says to us, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. Just believe? 
that's it? Seems pretty simple. Not a lot of work, really. Doesn't seem like a lot of heartache. I don't know about you, but I think that this is actually more difficult than anything else to believe. It's more difficult because to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, means that all of our other man-made gods are put to death. They're given no control over our lives. Only Jesus is Lord. And that's becoming increasingly difficult in the day we live in. It's hard to put to death man-made gods when they give us brief moments of happiness, brief moments of ecstasy. It's especially difficult because the Christian life is wrought with hardship in pushing back the darkness and drowning the old Adam and getting rid of the old gods. Life isn't actually made easier when you're a Christian. And sometimes the temptation is just to let the gods have their way. Let the temptations have their way because it's the path of least resistance. But whether we know it or not, it's slowly killing us when we let it happen. Now, I'm sure we've all had times when we feel as if our old selves and our old sin and our old darkness surrounds us and seems so present while God feels so distant. Can we actually initiate and do the work of believing? Can we muster it in ourselves to have faith? No. No, we cannot. So has Jesus given us an impossible task? Yes. Yes, he has. A task that is impossible for us. But that is possible with him. And that's the point of this text which seems so foreign to us as those that are used to working for their God. The beauty of faith, the beauty of being a Christian, is that this trust and faith and belief is initiated, it is gifted by God to us. It was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, says Jesus, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You didn't choose me, he says in John 15. I chose you. Faith is gift. And our response to this gift, as we learned last week, is to say, Lord, thank you very, very much much. The faith that we have isn't faith in an unseen God, quite the contrary. The Father has sent down the bread of life to his people that they might see and touch and then believe. 
When Jesus ascended to the Father, leaving earth so that he might unlock the gates of heaven to all believers, he did not leave us wanting. We don't give to him. He continues to give himself to us tangibly in the Eucharist, that our faith that was given to us, gifted to us, and sealed forever at our baptism might be strengthened for the days and the journey and the darkness and and those times when the old self seems to creep back in. He pushes it away. Jesus gives us the Eucharist so that he might be closer to us than anything that oppresses us. When we eat of the bread of life at this altar, it actually becomes a part of us. It becomes us. We are Christ's, and Christ is ours. That's why as a pastor, my heart breaks when I hear people say that they can be a Christian without going to church. I mourn that statement. Why would anyone want to deny themselves the bread that is imperishable? The bread that gives life to the world. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, after the the 8.30 service, someone came up to me and said, I once heard it said that when we partake of the body and blood of Jesus and it's in us, well, God can't deny himself, so he can't deny us. Amen. Why would you want to deny yourself of that? It's my prayer that as we leave here today, strengthened by the bread of life, we would go out into this world of darkness and draw more and more people back to this place of light and life, both the lapsed and the nuns. And then gathered together here, we might put to death our man-made gods. We might confess them to each other because when we confess them to each other, they have no power over our lives. When we bring it out of the darkness into the light, it's Christ's. And then we might dip our hands back in that font, reminding us of where this faith, where this work of God was gifted to us. It was made ours. That we might hear the forgiving words spoken over us into our ears. And then, journeying together to the altar, we might join in saying, as the people did today in our gospel text, Sir, Jesus, Give us this bread always. Jesus then gives us the bread of life himself, pulling us deeper and deeper into the mystery of faith, reminding us that he is the one true God that gives and gives and gives life to the world. Jesus, the bread of life, whom we should fear love, trust, and believe above all things. 
In the holy name of Jesus, amen.